one of your characters is written in a way stylistically that I've never really seen before. Mm. And in some ways, people would say, oh, you know, that's not really literature because it's short, punchy right. sentences right. and words. You know which character yeah. I'm referring to, right? In me. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but I liked it because mm. it kind of switched up the narrative all the time. Mm hmm. And uh, I'd never encountered anything like that before in yeah. anything else I'd read. So it's like, wow, this is new. Yeah. I think anything that's new and hasn't been done before and gives us a different perspective or a different way into a story is important. So, yeah, like we want to see uh, different different voices, different ways of getting at this material. Um, how, how do I tell a story about something that's been so buried and has so many layers of different stories over it and different versions and some of them quite erroneous versions? How do I access that? Um, and I was really lucky that Emmy came to me and, um, you know, actively as a character, I, I saw this as a this person who, who had this personality, but, well, how did he speak? So I had to figure out how does he speak to us in the present day and... How do I piece together um, kind of expressions from a language that, that is no longer, you know, actively spoken um, that much? They're, they're, re, um, they're re-energising that language, but it's still, you know, um, there's a few written aspects of it. And how do I bring that into English? And it's a, it's a difficult question. Do you feel <laughs> constrained by um, the deal? Like, in some ways, um, some things can be better understood in Te Reo Māori. Mm. Is that a constraint? I think it's, I actually think it's um, more of a, not a constraint, but um, um, an, an additional gift, uh, additional, what do we call it, um, relish. And in, in writing, Kenaki, and in, um, in writing um, in English as a Maori writer, I have this other thing I can draw on, um, and I don't think I could writing about Maori people or, or, or a situation in Aotearoa even. I don't think I could do it without using some pieces of, of, of Maori language. It's part of our vernacular now. Even Pakeha New Zealanders will use Maori words, um, so that enriches us. Um, rather than constrains us. And sometimes for the reader, it's a bit of... They might have to stretch to get there, but, I mean, I, I read writing by uh, Indian writers in English or Spanish writers in English. And that's the same thing. They use words where I go, oh, I don't know what that means, but it's the sound of it, the, the, the way it looks on the page, and I can always look it up. And so I think that enriches the experience of reading, for me, for it not to just be mono, English, the proper English whatever that means. So was Imi the character that came to you first in writing yes. Weathered Air yeah. Bone Sings? In fact, I was researching and um, I kept waking up at four o'clock in the morning, which is always a good sign. Um, and this voice was going, this is the story, this is, you know, um, and I had to write it down. And that was the central um, battle scene, actually. That was probably the first thing that came was, um, and it was from his perspective and so I, I had to um, stop researching for a while I actually was in the process of a PhD and said to my supervisors actually I need to write this fiction now that the voice is there and I need to write it down and I'm going to have to take a break from this the critical research I'm doing and just write this because that kind of thing doesn't happen all the time that's a gift um, the other characters didn't come to me that way um, the contemporary character I worked and reworked and did several um, threw out a couple of drafts and rewrote again so you know a third of the book 
um, had to be reworked quite a lot. But Immy's voice was there from the beginning. Um, I think that's really significant for a for a writer of this kind of material to have that kind of voice as as a central kind of thread or guide. Yeah. And when do you get to the stage where, because there's a lot of historical fact included in this, mm. where it's, oh, that's just enough. Mm. <laughs> I know too much. Yeah, because um, it can get in the way. Um, I think it got in the way with the contemporary character. Uh, I don't know if I've been cleared that for for the listeners that Emmy is the the Moriori mm. um, karapuna tupuna figure uh, who was killed in 1835. So um, when his voice came in, I knew that was, that I knew enough that I would write it from his perspective and that imagination would take over at that point. For the contemporary character, how does she process what happened? Um, so from there, I had her reading things and I had her explaining things and none of that worked. And I realised that Emmy had to carry that part of the story and that she, she, I could show her encountering it, but I didn't need to explain it from her point of view for the reader. So, um, yeah, the, the research was hard to know how much to put in and how much to leave out and to try and negotiate all the different points of view. Um, I, I didn't want it to be just this was the way it was, but for different people to have different interpretations. So we do have characters that have had quite different experiences of this history. Yeah. I'm Mariah Rakraku, this is Tiahi Ka, and I'm talking with Tina Makiriti about her book, Whether Reko Who Bone Sings. Now, the book's got a number of narratives, We've just you've just gone through that with me, mm. and time shifts. Mm. So if you could just explain the narratives that are happening. There's the contemporary characters, which are mm. these twins. Yes. Okay, so, yeah, the twins are born in the 1980s, um, and they don't know much. Their mother is very quiet. She, she There's a silence there, uh, and it's very purposeful for, for her. Um, and they don't find out until, I mean, I think this is this is uh, not giving too much away. They don't find out until after her death a lot of things about their heritage. Um, there's a story a hundred years before that in the 1880s of their tūpuna, um, and that's um, uh, Mere, who, who's Ngāti Mutunga, and Iraya, who's um, Moriori, but also a lot has been lost. He's, he's a descendant of a slave, so she was taken from the island, and a lot of people were taken from the island, you know, Rekohu. Um, and so he is brought up there, and the story's quite complex there, So, um, but they kind of have a relationship that is also um, difficult and, and finds its way to Wellington um, and comes up against the kinds of things that, that people that people would have come up against when they were doing something that the family didn't approve of and also trying to live in the city, um, trying to live at that historical moment. Um, and then before that, I guess, well, threaded through the novel, he's not really, he doesn't really exist in time. I mean, he's the, the, the karapuna or the, um, um, sorry, um, the, the Moriori ancestor who uh, died in 1835. And his only, he's kind of a bit lost. He, he didn't... Um, the manner of his death means that he's un, unhinged from where he should be. And his only way to understand the world or to try and un, get back to where he's supposed to be is to, um, he kind of feels things through his, his descendants and, and goes and experiences their lives. So he kind of follows them as we 
I think we all feel like our ancestors are with us. And um, and so he he goes on that journey, mainly in the end with his with the contemporary character as she finds her way back. Yeah. For him to find his way back. Yes, but she doesn't know that. Mm. I mean, she knows that she needs to go, but mm. she doesn't know. And I, I, I did think about, does he have contact with her? Does she realise he's there? And, I mean, we all realise that they're there. Mm. But I left that purposely open, that she knows something's there, but we don't have the abilities that maybe our ancestors have to know exactly who's there and how it works. So she finds her way back and... and, and works that out a little bit. So I'm familiar with a lot of your work and there's always a desire to label things. Briar Grace Smith's work has been labelled this way too as mystic realism. (laughs) (laughs) I was so thrilled when I saw nothing that said this is mystic realism (laughs) when I was reading your book. (laughs) Mm. Because of the Emmy character. Yeah, and people have trouble with that. Mm. I I was really surprised. It's not a bad thing, but almost all reviewers said this is a um, a, a, a fictional device. I was like, what? He's a character. And I just kept saying to my friends... And he's a really powerful character. Yeah, I kept saying to my friends, why do people keep calling him a fictional device? He's as real to me as any other character in the book. Um, So I think that people go, well, this is a device to tell this story. Um, But no, he's he's the strongest character that came first. Um, And I think that depends on where you're reading from and and how how you... Um, and not everybody says that, obviously, um, but like culturally, what that means to you—that someone who from the other the other side is talking to us directly—and um, so maybe that didn't work for certain people, but for uh, for, for me, it was essential um, part of it. Um, is that frustrating? Uh, it's not really frustrating, and I, I don't—I'm not, I'm not really emotionally worried about that <laughs> but I, I do I do think um, it'd be nice for people to understand that he's a character and then what does that mean that what does that mean how do I read it differently if I think of him as a character but is there a deeper issue there Tina about how if you're writing from a view that's not encased in another cultural view mm. that uh, that can then be interpreted as not being quite well in this case not literature not not real storytelling not, not real he's not a real character because he's not a real person um, and yeah no culturally for us and I mean I can go back to Patricia Grace with this culturally for us those people that pass on I think of Baby No Eyes which was Baby a no eyes. huge influence for me um, those they they have lives, or they they should, in some way, they exist for us. And when we explore that in literature, I mean, that's what literature's for to me is to explore the places we don't know, not the places we do. Um, to over ex- and over and <laughs> over and over. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 to explore the the um, the stuff we don't understand, or the the, the void, or um, I'm thinking now of Albert Went because that's what I'm teaching at the moment. What, what are those things? How do we how do we um, express those? Sometimes it's a spiritual thing. Um, and again, you say spiritual, it's like mystical, isn't it? It's like, oh, people put that to one side and say that's not that's not right or proper or real in some way. Um, 
I was just thinking of Briar when you said, you know, a mystical realist, and I thought, you know, she wrote, um, she wrote the what's the story? Put a fit How do you mind? The movie, yeah, um, the movie with the strength of water. Okay, and then after that, there was the one about the cannibalism, oh, fresh, fresh blood, meat. fresh meat. Okay, so we've, you know, we can. There's nothing mystical realist about that. I just I loved that when that came out because it just goes to show, you know, we we tell these stories and there's a bit of mysticism, but we're going to tell something that's really hilarious and 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 grounded. Um, oh, and and, and and slightly gross as well. <laughs> we, we 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 can do zombie stories. Yeah, we can do zombies. <laughs> we, can, we can do other things. Um, so yeah, let's not put people in boxes. In boxes. In, yeah, because of the danger of labelling. Mm. I mean that. That is, was always a worry for me, labelling. But I now that I've had more experience, I just go, um, what will be, will be in terms of that. I can't, I can't make people um, read it a certain way um, or understand it a certain way. So you just kind of put it out and hope that they, that it, it is. And I, I do think that people have really, really read it well. People have really understood for the most part where it's coming from. So um, I'm really happy about that. Now I'm familiar with your short stories. Mm. Is it was it just a natural course that you would make that you would write a novel? I really love short stories, um, and I can't wait to get back into them. But some stories are just bigger than that, uh, and it, I think it's different for every writer about why they'd write a novel or a short story. But uh, this story, the story started evolving right at the beginning of when I started writing because. Uh, it came from a fam- family stories, and I always thought, I don't know about this. Um, and my daughter was given a name that we thought was from a, a Moriori tupuna. Mm. And I thought, how do I understand that? How do I understand uh, what that means to be Moriori or part Moriori or whatever we want to understand that to be? Um, and, and my daughter has this name now. What, what do we do about that? Um, and so I thought, I didn't know if it was going to be non-fiction at first, or what it was going to be. So for many years, it kind of um, it, it sat there, yeah, simmering Summer. away. <laughs> and uh, and then the the opportunity to to do the PhD came up, and I, I I applied for that because I knew it would take a great deal of research, and I would need that kind of support to to go places and to spend a long time doing the research and. Um, even with all that research, I still couldn't write a non-fiction story about that because there's so much that's been lost. So it's about re- reconnecting and, re- and excavating that thing, that what's been lost, but in an imaginative way. Because in, in a way, that's all we've, we've got. We can take what we know, but we also have to re- what was it like for those people um, even 100 years ago? And uh, that's a way of understanding. Mm. What's typical who like? Um, I I find it an extraordinary place, um, and, and a very I I do feel like, and I've written this into the book and at the end of the book that I do feel like the stories are there when you go there. Um, there's many places you go where you can feel that, um, but going to Rikuhu, um there were moments where um, I'd be looking at the land, travelling on the land, or someone would be telling a story, and I just, I'd just have this huge emotional response to, to that that I couldn't explain, and the things that were were said, while I was there, um, and, 
so when I when I talk about the land, I don't want to say it was beautiful because it's not that kind of surface beauty. Mm. It's something so much deeper, so many layers of of people and stories and generations. Extraordinary place, um, wonderful kai, <laughs> all those things as well. Because um, you spent quite a lot of time there, didn't you? Not not a lot of time. I probably you know it was just I went for two trips. Um, the second trip was for a, even the trip's a mission, isn't it? The trip is a mission. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, and that. I had like a half a chapter about that at one point. Like, <laughs> how do you get to the island? It's just a flight, but it was quite an interesting yeah, yeah, experience. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah, went to uh, the Mirongo Peace Festival there, which was um, uh, absolutely wonderful, and uh, had massive coda every every day <laughs> to eat. Of course, they live off the know. land still. <laughs> yeah. Um, so all those things are wonderful, but that's the stories, of course, that really touched something very deep. And I, um, I didn't know if I would ever be able to translate that into text. How, how do I write this down? And so that took quite a lot of, um, trying and retrying. Um, and yeah, I think that I, I just felt like lucky to be able to, to go there and, and to see that and, um, and be able to write it down. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and you're writing a PhD at the same time. Well, uh, luckily for me, it was part of the PhD, so all of that works. Still, though, there's there's a whole section of a PhD. Definitely, that's... yeah. So you have your critical research, mm. which is about how do we write these things, how do we write our histories, and, and what does that mean for our contemporary lives? How do we um, How do we tell stories that haven't... That haven't seen the light of day, or have seen the light of day, but are a bit skewed by who told them before, um, or the way they've been told before. Um, like I say, we need lots of different people telling those stories. So that was one part. That was my critical piece of research, which looked in the end at Baby Nyes and an Australian writer called Kim Scott, and how they did similar things. And then I had. The, the novel to write, but this novel in particular took that kind of massive amount of research in mm. terms of going to the place. And I was another reason I was fortunate to be able to do it in this way was that you know you could get research funding to get to those places and do that work. Mm. Because you're bringing a family up around all of this as well. Eh? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> we all are though, aren't we? Um, yeah, um, yeah. That, that's that's a challenge, but also. Um, you know, just keeps you grounded um, at the end of the day. So, um, and of course, you know, without my my um, portiki, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have started writing mm. the story. I mean, her birth meant I said, "What what's a, what's a, to put a name for this child?" And I was given that name, and that began the story. So, you know, that's where it connects to in the end. All of this historical re- research is really just about the family in the end, isn't it? <laughs> And now you're teaching up at Vogue. Mm-hmm. And what's the... Um, so the Māori and Pacifica um, uh, Creative Writing Workshop, it's it's about writing in English, but um, going back to, uh, I guess, who, all the... We do reading. Um, who are all the uh, important... Uh, what are all the important pieces of writing um, that speak to the subject? Uh, in many different ways. How do we do this? What does it mean to be a Māori and Pacifica writer? Um, why, you know, why is it different? How is it different? Um, how, how do we 
strengthen our voices? What are our voices? So many questions. So it's uh, the first couple of classes. We had three hours, and I thought we could just go for six hours and still not be finished discussion. So that, and then, but the main part of the workshop, the main part of the course is the writing of the students. So at the moment, I have nine um, um, wonderful students who are, I have to say, it's um, bringing me amazing pieces of writing, and that forms the most of the class um, in terms of uh, looking at each other's work, sharing our work, and in the end giving feedback to each other about what what works and how do we make it stronger. Um, and it's really about um, just a, another one of those things that hopefully will help more writers come through, um, give them another step that might help on the journey. To... To being published. To being published. Is there room I, I would for Māori yeah, published Well, I think so. I think work. there's a huge amount of room um, for, for more voices. Um, one of my worries with whether Eko Who Bones sings is that um, that people will think, oh, that's, you know, that's the authoritative point of view and that's all we need to know or that person's the expert and that's, that's not true. We need all these different voices coming through. Um, and I have been a bit lonely in terms of we've got lots of writers, but um, how do we strengthen that? How do we bring more voices through that so that we're not just having seen one or two books a year, but seeing several, several different points of view coming through in fiction I'm talking about in particular. Which does make me wonder, is there room, I mean, is, are there publishers that want to publish Māori writers? I really think there are. And I know there are Māori writers that might not feel that way. Mm. But I find the response really positive and really strong in terms of um, there's a big niche for this. I think people overseas are interested. I'm not quite sure what is standing in the way of... More, I mean, publishing's going through a hard time altogether, so we know that's happening. But um, I think it's hard to produce a book-length piece of work, and I think that takes many years in some case. It took me um, three, four years for this latest book couple of years for the first one um, so so I mean I, I'd love to be able I think it's just a matter of people being able to dedicate the time and I think the publishers are there um, I in think New it, Zealand well uh, you know I've had a really good experience so that's that's my experience I've published with Huya and I've published with Random House which is you know the mainstream big publisher there um, so I think there's room for us there. I think there's room for us in the smaller publishers as well. We've got some really interesting independent publishers. Um, I see uh, Māori work in the journals, in the um, literature journals. So I do think there's space, and um, I'm actually going to go to my class next week and, and, and take them a list of places where they can get small pieces of work published. And I was going to say to them, let's you know colonise those spaces. <laughs> let's, um, I think, I mean... Uh, our work is so vibrant. It's it's still bringing so much that hasn't been talked about, hasn't been discussed. Um, there's there's definitely a place there, and uh, my experience of of mainstream publishing has been really positive. So I think there's space for for Maori writers in in mainstream publishing as well as independent Maori publishing as well. Where the Deaco who bones sings, you know, it's the first time that I've read an account from a fictional point of view. Mm. about the Māori-Moriori relationship. Mm. 
uh, everything else has been non-fictional. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, yeah, I mean, if you're wondering, there, there, there's two very small things that I found, you know, in, in the course of a PhD. Uh, I think one was Bernard Gad, who wrote something a long time ago, which was more a youth fiction. Mm. And there was um, a section of David Mitchell, a British writer's book called um, Cloud Atlas. When David Mitchell came to New Zealand, I <laughs> I, I accosted him and, and, and said, where did you get your research from? Because I just started the project. So, um, yeah, those are the only other fictional things that I've seen written. Uh, like I say, there's heaps of space for these stories because they haven't been told. But do you think, Tina, there is the time when the story needs to be told? Yes, yeah. So yeah. maybe, you know, this is the time for this to have been told? It couldn't have been yeah. told, you know, 20 years ago? I mean, yeah. is it like that? I think it is, yep. I think it is. I think um, it was it was quite scary for me to take on the story. I didn't know um, if I should. Um, and... That's me, you know, I can't, you know, it would have been harder the closer we get to that history, you know, and the more, the, there's a lot of pain there. There's a lot of, there's still a lot of pain there. There's still a lot of um, unresolved stuff there. And so um, this is not something to go into lightly. Um, but we're getting to a stage, I think, in our writing now where we can look at things um, and say, okay, so we we understand all these things that have happened what about these other things that we've just not been talking about for a while? Because, you know, a lot of this is about the fact that people didn't talk about these things. Um, and just uh, a lot of the pain comes from not talking about it or um, losing that history. And so I made up a fictional story, uh, but people I met, that there are people I met that lived this kind of thing, that lived this, you know. my oh, mother ne- Yeah, my mother never told me. I didn't know. I didn't know why we were here. I didn't know why that happened. Um, I didn't know why she didn't tell me. Your mother? No, 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 sorry. This is what people oh, right. say. Yeah, this is what... My mother's always been very proud of being what you are For her, it's always been a wonderful thing. But there are, you know, there are other people that I met that would say, you know, this was hidden. This is... We reclaimed this and we had to convince our, our grandmothers or our grandfathers that this was okay, that we're allowed to be... Moriori and Ngāti Mutunga, Moriori and Ngāpuhi, or whatever yeah. we are. I mean, it's that thing that I guess many of us carry when you are a bloodline of a coloniser and the colonised. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're the victor and the victim. Mm. And how do you resolve yeah. those issues when they're in collision with each other? That's right, mm. yeah. And, I mean, I found out... I was looking for my Moriori um, ancestor, and I, I actually found a, I th- what I believe is a stronger connection to a Ngāti Mutunga ancestor. So I, I came to understand, you know, it, this really is... I'm, I'm quite removed from it. I'm quite lucky in that. Um, and maybe that was part of how the story could be told too. I didn't... I'm not there Emotionally. where it's... You know, yeah, or, you know, there's definitely emotional stuff involved in writing this kind of thing, but it's it, I'm not living it every day, so... Um, I have um, an, another reason why I didn't know if I should, but that story had been coming, you know, been told to me all my life. So we all have these stories. And and, uh, and it needed to be told. I, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> oh, kia ora. Um, kia ora, Manaya. Um, I te tātoku māma, um, ko taranaki, ko piripiri, ko to, to tongariro ngā maunga.
Um, ko Waitohi, ko Rangatika ngā awa, ko Taupo te Moana, uh, ko Tiatiawa, ko Ngāti Tūwharito, ko Ngāti Maniapoto ngā iwi, uh, ko Ngāti Rāhari, uh, Ngāti Tefiti, Ngāti uh, Tawharikura, uh, rāua ko Ngāti Parikawa ngā hapu, um, oh, Ngāti Rangatahi hoki. <laughs> um, I ngā kōrero whānau toku mama, uh, ko, ko Moriori te iwi hoki, uh, i te tau tōku pāpa, um, uh, ko, ko he, he tūpuna pākehā, ngā tūpuna, uh, ai, um, kia ora tātou.